and for me, this gets down to a proper definition of theology. Um, I don't think theology is uh, the science of of studying God. I don't think I don't think theology is the study of God. I think theology is the knowledge of God personally experienced and publicly expressed. And so it's the knowledge of God that we personally experience but are publicly expressing. Like we're never done with theology until it reaches the point of us understanding it and experiencing it and then offering it to other people. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 159. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is Pastor Joe Thorne. He is the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship of uh, St. Charles, Illinois. He has uh, an extensive kind of uh, preaching career in that he has been preaching weekly since 1998. But in the beginning of the conversation, we talk about those early days, uh, back when nerves and self-doubt uh, played a, a huge part of Joe's life, but a, a gradual growing confidence uh, that comes as he leans more into who who he is. That's something that's important for us. Uh, Joe's going to encourage you to, you do you, boo-boo, and uh, you have to listen to find out what that actually means. And in the second half, we get some insights into how to coach how to guide, how to encourage new and young Bible teachers in your life. We get some real helpful phrases that allow us to give even negative feedback to those that we are mentoring. Okay, this is a great conversation. Make sure that you check out the show notes for all the resources that have been listed in this conversation. And now I'm going to get out of your way and you can listen in to my conversation with Pastor Joe Thorne. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm here with Pastor Joe Thorne from uh, Redeemer Church. Um, did I, is it Redeemer Church? Is it Redeemer Baptist Church? Or? Redeemer Fellowship. Redeemer Fellowship. I, I would have gotten it. So I just throw out. Close Ecclesi- enough. Ecclesia Fellowship. Right. Um, so I'm so glad to, to have you here. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about, about preaching. Yeah, man, I'm honored to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well... So we'll just get right into it. Um, when was the first time you ever preached a sermon, and how did it go? The first sermon I actually preached would have been in 1994. I was uh, a student at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, I had take, I just started my first preaching class, but my pastor at the time said, uh, we're going to get you up right away on Sunday nights at our church, at our little Baptist church. So, uh, yeah, I preached uh, Romans 6 like a genius. And, um, and I say genius because it was way too complicated of a passage. I didn't do the whole thing, but I attempted to. And I think, uh, I think it was about 17 minutes of painful awkwardness. Yeah. It's 17 minutes is not that long <laughs> when, no. compared, compared to how long some people's first sermons have gone. I always uh, erred. I, I, I always was too brief cold, nervous, um, unexpressive. Uh, I didn't look like I was nervous. I was terribly nervous, but I didn't, but I, I was unexpressive. I wasn't myself. It was, uh, it was pretty brutal. Uh, and sorry, you said that your, your prof invited you to come speak for the Sunday evenings. Was it just you or was it everybody in the class? 
No, I was in a preaching class at Moody, but at the same time, my pastor uh, also said, hey, we're going to start having you preach on Sunday evenings at our church. Oh, I, okay. Sorry, I got that mixed yeah, up. Yeah, so it was um, – I had a lot – I mean, starting from that moment, I had got – way more preaching experience than my peers typically did because I was preaching all the time and then yeah. frequently on Sunday mornings. So I got a lot of reps because my pastor at the time really believed in training, equipping, empowering people that are called to do the work of ministry in whatever way he could. Now, um, so his training, it sounded like the training involved you just going and doing yeah. it. But there yeah. was there, he was there more? Feedback. Okay. Yeah, okay. He, he would give me feedback. He would, uh, he would say, hey, you know, you know we want to clarify this in your introduction or, but no, I mean, he was, he was just one of those old school, you know, Baptist, you know, do it by the book, you know, preach the word, go, th- go through the text. Yeah. Uh, he didn't, he didn't have any, he didn't have a lot of requirements for me other than stick to the text. Um, and, you know, but at that point in my walk with Christ, you know, I was still very young, but uh, I had, been studying the scripture incessantly at that point for about four years. And, uh, and so, and I liked study. So the study part, the exegesis part wasn't the, wasn't the hard part. That was fun for me. It was figuring out how to present it homiletically and then figuring out how to communicate it in a way that is real, uh, that actually reflects me in my personality and not, coming off in someone else's voice or uh, as a merely uh, kind of a talking commentary. Yeah. Hmm. So the feedback that he gave, was it along those lines? Was he saying like, no, no. that doesn't sound like it's your voice? No, 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 no. He didn't care about that stuff. It was just, <laughs> I, he, he was a theology nerd and a, you know, a Bible nerd. So all he wanted me to do was just do my thing, which was, he was just super happy to have uh, a young person that was called to ministry that was ready to go um, and, and preach. And so as long as I was accurate, he was happy. I mean, he okay. wasn't a great preacher. Okay. I mean, just to be honest, he wasn't, he wasn't a, that wasn't his particular gift. Um, he probably he doesn't cer- subscribe to this podcast. So, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. So I don't worry about much. Um, so he, uh, yeah, it, he could preach well, um, and every once in a while he would kill it, but yeah, no, he was just a guy that was excited. So he didn't do a lot of, a lot of training in terms okay. of like my, my preaching. He just uh, gave me opportunity and then he would give me some feedback. Uh, he did the more, the training that I got from him would, had to do more with, uh, ecclesiology and church polity and things like that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm getting even feedback. That is a bit of a head start over, mm-hmm. over some people in some, in some Christian circles, there is, you know, there's like a reverence for the word of God, or there is the, they want to be encouraging to people. And so sometimes the only feedback people get, at least that I got for years was just that really blessed me or, you know, or, or good job, good job. But, but no one to say like, well, it was good. And here's why, or, you know, it can need improvement. And these are the things that need to be improved. So you just kind of oftentimes young or new preachers are just doing their best for vague senses of like affirmation rather than specific feedback. Yeah. You get it. You, 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 people are going to generally give you a thumbs up 
uh, unless you're just really butchering the text, right? Because they're, they're, they know you're young. They know you're starting out. Or if you're not young, they know you're new to it. Yeah. And so they're going to try to be encouraging, which is why it's important that you find people that will actually speak into your work, your craft, and say, this was good, this was weak. Here's something that you ought to be considering in terms of improvement. Hmm. Well, I do want to come back to that in, in a few minutes with some questions about Leadership Lab, because it seems like you've designed a way in Redeemer Fellowship for people who are new to preaching to get that specific feedback. Uh, but but before we get there, I'd, I'd love to hear, like, how do you think uh, that you've improved uh, since then? Your sermons are longer than 17 minutes now, and but you think that you probably are more comfortable in, in your own voice. Uh, yeah. How else have you grown since then? Well, I've been preaching weekly since 98. So I've been at it for a while. Um, so I, th- with reps will come a sense of, um, will come a level of comfort with yourself so that I could relax. Like Honestly, the best advice that I got when I was a young preacher was from my friend and a couple of friends actually and they said when you and I talk about theology when you and I talk about the Bible you're lit up you're excited you're passionate you're you're like you're 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 entertaining but when you get up there to preach you're boring you're you're just cold you're just not yourself and it took me about a year of of at least frequent if not regular preaching to begin to get a sense of where I was um and that continues to, to develop over the years. I think um, getting comfortable with myself, as I'm, an in, I'm a naturally insecure person. Um, I don't have a lot of self-confidence. I tend to doubt myself a lot and think whatever I do is just not very good or not good enough. So um, it, took me, it took me quite a while to get really comfortable with who I am and not worry about my idiosyncrasies or whatever. And then getting comfortable with the craft it took about uh and what i mean by that is i wanted to throw up for the first 10 years of preaching so yeah i would say i would say yeah from 94 to 2004 to maybe 2005 uh, i felt like puking before i ever every time before i got up and preached i wouldn't eat on sunday mornings ever um because i just felt like i was going to hurl and eventually that that went away. So I guess I started to discover my voice, but it still took me a while to figure out exactly, you know, what that means um, in in how I present the truth, even in how I use my notes. Um, that went through several iterations until I finally landed on something that works for me and my style. Um, it just took years. So I would say, how have I grown? Uh, in some ways, uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable with the discipline. I certainly enjoy it. Um, and hopefully, I have grown in my ability to uh, explain and apply the scripture to particular audiences or needs. But other than that, I mean, I, the only thing I can measure is like comfort, yeah. you know, how, how, how well I can study, like I can, things I can actually measure. Yeah. Can I get can I get personal? Can I ask some some oh, follow up questions on that? I'm open book. Go for it. Are you still insecure? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm on anti anxiety meds. I have like I have all kinds of issues, man. Like I I think I suck at everything. The only reason I 
like I would never have gone into the ministry if somebody, if some key people didn't say, you should do that. You should pursue that. I never would have written a book if the publisher didn't come to me and say, hey, we like your blog. You should consider writing a book. I, and I don't even, the only reason I know that I'm good at, I, I don't think I'm a great preacher. I think I'm a good preacher. And the reason I think that is because the church has told me enough times uh, over the over the decades, like, that's your gift. You're, you can preach. So um, otherwise, yeah, I just don't, yeah, I don't know. It's not humility. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not humble. It's not that because uh, I wind up thinking about myself way too much. It's not, it's not, it's not a sense of humility. It's, it's a, I deal with a kind of insecurity and self-doubt that really amounts to a kind of unbelief in the in God and in the way he creates people and can use people. And so I've been working through that over the years and I'm in a much better place now. And I, I guess I would say I would I would button it up this way and say um, I still think I'm the weakest man in the room, uh, but I have more confidence than I've ever had in my life, but not in, it's not in myself. It's in Christ. So that's probably where I'm at at this point. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm, I'm not just asking to be like morbid or, or yeah. for anything like that. Like a lot of like younger or, or newer, uh, preachers like feel insecure and are kind of waiting for this, um, in interior sense of confidence to rise up. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it serves them well and, and me well to hear that. Yeah. You're, you're actually, uh, don't have this, uh, cockiness or security that um, <laughs> yeah. that wells up from the inside out. And I think, you know, there, there definitely are people out there that are very confident, and that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are errors that stem from both extremes, right? So the overly confident people don't rely on God as much in their temptation. They're tempted to not rely on God. Um, and uh, the the underconfident people, uh, they they tend to not attempt things for God because like, how could God use me? It's like we both have sin problems in our the way that our brains work and minds work. But you, um, but here's the thing. On the flip side, I've never once in all the years and in all the sermons, I've never had the Monday blues. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know what that is. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm not a depressive person, yeah. but like a lot of a lot of pastors are discouraged on Monday because of Sunday, and oftentimes they link it to preaching. And even though I walk away from every sermon going, mm, uh, the uh, the I don't know, it's about my part. Um, and what I'm confident in is that. At, even if my mechanics weren't great or even if I thought that I kind of stumbled over things too much or if I was kind of messy, uh, I always brought myself back to, did I, did I preach the scripture? I did. Okay. Well, God can use screwed up presentations of the gospel. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. Um, he's going to use mine. And uh, so I have confidence that I at least gave them the word and I will try to do better next time, which is why I never re-preach sermons. So yeah, I just yeah. always feel like I need to, I can do better. I can do better the next time. Why would I want to re-preach that old sermon? It's weird to me. Um, okay. Well, 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 two things. Um, I'm going to re-preach a sermon tomorrow yeah. <laughs> um, from a couple of years ago and with, with just tweaks and, and upgrades. But mm-hmm. uh, so I think it's fine. Um, oh yeah. Not wrong. Uh, but, but, um, but secondly, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. I don't get the Monday blues either. Never have. And uh, and you know, I, I, I commiserate with people, um, that do, I, 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 sort of, I sort of get it, but in my mind, it's like 
preaching is like the, the, like that's one of the only things that I feel that I'm good at, you know, <laughs> with, with my yeah. own sense of like of insecurity yeah. and whatever. It's like, man, I got a whole rest of the week for me to kind of, kind of struggle through, but at least I got to preach, you know, and imperfectly, but like I got to stand and like declare God's word to people. Wow. And I'm just kind of like building towards yeah. that all, all over again. I, I, it's a, it's a high and, uh, yeah, it could always, could have been done better, but I know that I, I tried real hard and, right. and yeah. And God so, uses, I mean, he, he, his word does not return void. You know, he, he sanctifies his people through the truth. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, I, I can't really mess it up unless I don't preach it. That's the only way I can mess it up is if I don't preach the passage. It's, so, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's always a lot to be in, encouraged by. But I also get it. Everybody's different. Like, you know, I'm anxious. Some people are more depressed. Other people are more gregarious and other people are more cocky or whatever. Like, everybody's got their own sort of lean in their personality. So got to kind of be coached through it and coach yourself through it. Yeah, well, I hear the Monday blues are very common, and maybe we just alienated everybody. <laughs> maybe we're the two outliers. Uh, who, well, maybe who if they really were as it. good as us, they would struggle. <laughs> yeah. With the... yeah, if I preached a bad sermon, I'd feel bad on Monday, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> too bad for you guys. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, would you maybe, do you want to talk about experiential preaching or your sermon prep next? Because you're like it's a your show. All it's right. Your show. Uh, what's experiential preaching and why are you into it? Well, I think by definition, preaching is experiential. Otherwise, it's, it's not proper preaching. Uh, and I, I think the way you know, you're, you're saying experiential preaching, I'm guessing you're, you're getting at this idea that, um, that preaching is not just aimed at uh, – the transmission of information, uh, but the actual reception resting on, acting upon, and being changed by the truth that we preach, right? In other words, that, that preaching should aim at, an in, at, at a congregation and therefore the individuals of that congregation in such a way that they come away different, that they have themselves experienced the word. And for me, this gets down to a proper definition of theology. Um, I don't think theology is uh, the science of of studying God. I don't think I don't think theology is the study of God. I think theology is the knowledge of God personally experienced and publicly expressed. That's how I define theology because it is the knowledge. Of, it means God words, right? So I think it is the knowledge of God. Uh, that in that involves our intellect, right, our, our comprehension and comprehension skills. Uh, but it's it's more than that. It's relational. Uh, it's it is a dependency on God, and so it's the knowledge of God that we personally experience, but are publicly expressing. Like we're never done with theology until it reaches the point of us understanding it and experiencing it, and then offering it to other people. Well, preaching is that. Right, preaching is a proclamation or a heralding of the truth of God that we have experienced, that we are being uh, either you know convicted by or encouraged by. In other words, I think we should read the Word always, regardless of what we're doing with the Word. I think. Our, our reading, our intake of the word should first be to understand it and to understand what the implications of it are for me as the reader. 
And then, and only then, should I then turn to the next level, which is, all right, so now I need to preach this passage or I need to teach this passage. What is it going to say to other people? And I think a lot of preachers look at the passage and they go immediately to the hearers when what they need to do is they need to first focus on themselves because I want to be able to feed people from what is growing in my life, right? Like that's my garden. So like if I'm experiencing conviction or joy or the fear of the Lord, um, and, and that's real for me, when I begin to preach that, uh, you know, the, the, the passion, the, the conviction, the earnestness is going to come with it. So all that to say, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if I've used that expression before, experiential preaching, but I probably have. But I would say that experiential preaching is about, to use the old cliche, um, is more about transformation than information. Hmm. Hmm. You can't be transformed without information. But you, you, you can communicate sermons that aim at transformation without information, and you, you can offer sermons that are all information, but that's not really the, the duty of a, of a preacher, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I've heard you mention experiential preaching in previous <laughs> interviews that you've done, yeah. and um, and you kind of mentioned it briefly and then, and then moved on. I kind of took a note of that, and I thought, I'd I don't know. I don't remember anything I say. Okay. <laughs> I don't know any, I just, it all just kind of disappears after I say it. So you'll have to take it all with a grain of salt. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your definition of, of experiential preaching. And so, so that's not that you're looking necessarily to create an experience on the spot for the people, but that right. out of your experience, you're, you're communicating that, that, you know, you've, you've been to the empty tomb, you run back and you tell the rest of them, yeah. you know, our Lord is, is not there. And, and, I, and I want them to have, you know, e- even more than what I got, right? It's like, oh, well, I've tasted of this because you know, I'm not the model. I'm not the example. But I've tasted of this. So now I want them to have this and to have their fill, you know. Uh, and, and that's, you know, it comes with being a preacher, especially if you're a pastor. You, you know your congregation. You know your audience. You know who's hurting, what they're going through, and what their needs are. And so when you see the connection between, oh, wow, I'm in this particular passage and it's highlighting this particular doctrine uh, of God. And then these are the five different ways that I can show how it connects to their hearts. And I know that their hearts need this because I know where they're at. You know, all of that helps to leverage enthusiasm, which I think is important. Hmm. In preaching, it's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a, a, a sense of, you know, credibility in the communication of an idea matters. And so whether you're louder or, or more quiet or more calm, right, uh, whether you're more of a Tim Keller or a Tony Evans, right, um, like they both have earnestness. You know, one is loud, one is not. One is dramatic, one is staid. But... I think it comes from their their love, and they're, obviously they have different theologies as well. But they both love Jesus, and they both love the Word. Yeah, and and both great preachers, worthy of yeah, us. Very to, very to good consider. communicators. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a, so much to learn. It, it, I think we're really quick, especially in my tribe, like Reformed Baptist, cranky, you know, uh, guys. Like we're really quick to sort of dismiss people. Like you know, oh well, that guy. You know, he's, he, he has these doctrines wrong, so we cast them out or, or they're on the wrong team, right? So we're just going to cast them aside. But, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I realize I can learn a lot and I can learn a lot from all kinds of people and I can probably learn something from everybody. And so, yeah, if they're, if they're a good communicator, then 
I like to like well, what, what what makes them a good communicator and learn from that as best. Not to replicate them; that doesn't work. But to but to learn from it, be encouraged by it. Um, yeah, I think that's a good habit. Uh, like I don't encourage preachers, to, like young preachers. I, I do a lot of preaching coaching, and I, I don't encourage them to listen. I discourage them from listening to sermons. Uh, I tell them to read sermons and focus on your craft, focus on what you're doing. Um, because especially when you're young, it is very hard to not imitate and pick up aspects of other people's voice when you're, uh, when you're getting going. But, um, and once you get, I think a little more established, I think it's easier to, to sort of listen to guys and then benefit from them without mimicking them. Okay. I was going to ask, yeah, when, when does it become safe to listen to other preachers? Well, some people can right away. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it's not an issue at all. But if you've ever heard the people that come out of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, they sound like Mark Dever. Um, Correct. Yes, correct. Which is great, but they don't have their own voice. And so, like, it's really, and and that's not anybody's fault, right? That's just, you have a, a very powerful figure who's doing a lot of discipling, they're going to sound like him. But I think on some level, it does mean that either they are not encouraged to find their own voice or they're afraid to step out and have their own voice. And I've always existed in a context where either I don't care or I uh, am encouraged to do my thing and don't do somebody else's thing. So I think it's maybe a little bit easier. All of our preachers here at our small church have their own voice. None of us sound the same. But also, I'm also not a dynamic, powerful uh, personality, you know, like some of these guys that are uh, that are used mightily by the Lord. So anyways, to answer your question, um, I think uh, – well, first of all, I don't know. Like I've, I've just never really enjoyed listening to sermons unless I'm there. Sure. Okay. Okay. That's a personal thing. And then in general, uh, yeah, I think I would just tell people, don't worry. Why, why are you listening to sermons? Like I would want, if you're preaching, spend your time in the commentaries, uh, when you need, when, when that's appropriate, spend your time in the word and, uh, and benefit from all the resources that we have. Um, I've never, I've never found much help listening to other preachers sermons from today when doing my own sermon prep um I, if anything i'll i'll go back to an old sermon it's in print i have volumes of puritan sermons or whatever that i'll go and look at nothing wrong with it i just don't like picking up other people's voices and i've seen a lot of people do it plus i think when you're young and or new to preaching and you're listening it's hard to not compare yourself mm. it's hard to not go like oh my goodness like why couldn't i do that or why you know why why can't i pull that off or then we're trying to do something because we like how it sounded when they did it and yeah i just in general i encourage young people like stay away for a while yeah and and the reason why even certain preachers or voices or podcast feeds get big is because generally they're extraordinarily gifted yeah. and and that you know and you know rightly so people should listen to those that are really gifted or have something to say that's really important but it's it only is it it's not a fair comparison for a young or new right. person to. It's hard for preachers because, you know, especially it's worse now than when I was in Bible college. Uh, you know, because I remember I had this great professor, a preaching professor, Dr. Kessler, who has written a great book on preaching that everybody should read. Um, I think it's called, oh, I mean, it's just a weird title. John Kessler is his name, K O E S S L E R, and his book is called Wisdom, Grace, and Folly, or something like that. Okay. John There'll be a, a link in the show notes. We'll, it's f- we'll one find of my it. Favorite, it's one of my favorite books on, preachings, uh, on preaching. It's a great modern little uh, theology of preaching. 
easy to read and unlike all the other books on preaching. Anyway, he was pointing out uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, that um, that it used to be if you asked somebody who their favorite preacher was, they would say, oh, Pastor John, my, my pastor. I mean, yeah. they, that their favorite preacher was the one that they got to hear every week. Well, now... You know, we have radio and television, and now we have podcasts mm-hmm. and everybody. And so, uh, which is a great thing. But yeah, there definitely are people that are, and, and preachers that are going to feel pretty un, under supported and under praised because uh, some of the people in their congregation may be uh, constantly comparing them to somebody that's been at it for decades and has, it is particularly gifted. It can yeah. be hard. Yeah. And it's not even just their voice or inflection. Like, you know, what's what's really kind of hot right now is, you know, cultural commentary and having this like really keen insights. And um, we had a Expositors Collective training weekend in New York last year, well, two years actually. And uh, uh, Mike Doyle, he had a great message uh, and he was saying, he's like, you know what, like Tim Keller, genius. Yeah, Tim Mackey, genius. Uh, Mark Sayers, genius. You, average at best. And he's like, and the worst thing is like when you young guys, and, he's like, and me, average, I'm average. I don't have the brains to like right. meld together the meta narratives of all these kind of things. And, you know, among certain people, that's, you know, like the John Mark Homer, like that, that style is very like in with certain young people. And when certain young people try to pull it off, they just can't do it because it right. comes from decades of study and like an extraordinarily like keen grasp of culture that you usually don't have um, starting out or maybe never, you know, I'm probably never going to have that. And so I'm never going to try to sound like super insightful about the zeitgeist of today. Yeah. It's like benefit from those guys. But Mm. you know, as they say, you do you boo boo, like (laughs) do your thing. They say that. that. (laughs) That's the thing. You do (laughs) you boo boo. So that's a little bit. Not in Ireland. Not in my circles anyway. It's it's an American uh, silliness. But um, yeah, like my, my ministry has for a lot from the beginning has had an emphasis on reformed theology or experiential theology like a like um you could look at it like this uh like i love systematic theology I read systematic th- theology all the time I, I like it it's just it's something i enjoy um but my so my ministry my preaching and teaching ministry has always been i want the deep things of god to be accessible and, uh, and experiential for the people in the church. And so I, I've always known, like, I'm not going to write a systematic theology. I'm not going to teach at the university. Um, I didn't have any interest in getting my PhD. Everybody was trying to get me to get my PhD. I was like, I, I, need, I need to go. I want to go and just, this is what I want to do. So knowing what you're gifted at and having a clear sense of calling uh, not just like calling to ministry, but what kind of ministry? What is your philosophy of ministry? What are your gifts? Once you know that, it really does free you up to be less burdened by what other people are doing. So you can just move ahead and say, yeah. oh, this is my thing. MacArthur, I don't think he struggled a day in his life with what he was supposed to do on a Sunday morning. Sure. Homeboy knows, like, I'm yeah. going to exegete this passage in this way. Yeah. And for 40 years, he's done that thing. And it's pretty freeing when you know what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he gets the, the Monday blues. I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. I think... Uh, the three of I us, think, man. You, me, and Johnny Mac. Yeah. We're all... McCar- <laughs> probably, for three, the, probably for three different reasons. Yeah. He has the weekly... He has the weekday grumps, is what MacArthur has. <laughs> He's a grumpy old dude. But, uh, 
but a great communicator, great preacher. Yeah. Um, one of the most significant sermons I've ever heard in my life that helped bring me out of a, of a season of spiritual dryness uh, and darkness was a John MacArthur sermon. It was like the first thing that God did to kick me in the head and go, hey, mm-hmm. dummy, you've been ignoring me. And so, yeah, first first real book I read as a Christian was Our Sufficiency in Christ by MacArthur. Radically changed me. Yeah. Uh, first for him. first study Bible I ever I ever got was was his. Was it the um, MacArthur study Bible? Yeah, 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 yeah. My my mom took me to the Christian bookstore and I got to pick one out and like, well, that one's brown. It looks kind of cool. So I got his his study Bible. Fun. So yeah, he's he's helped raise us. Um, okay, so. What does your like sermon preparation routine look like? So Sunday is coming. Uh, what does what your week rhythm look like leading up to it? Um, <clears throat> so my day off is Friday, not Monday. So uh, and, I, and that's on purpose because Sunday, busy day, preaching. I preach a couple times. I was, it was three services here until COVID, and now we have two services at a different location. So um, Monday, I'm tired, but man, I'm... I want to get back. I want to get right back to like my favorite thing, which is the word. So Mondays, it's generally a study reading day. I do a lot of reading of the passage, uh, sketching things out. I write everything down in a, um, all my sermon prep is done in a notebook with a pencil. Um, That's just how I do it. I use Lagos. Well, I have a lot of wooden pencils, uh, a lot of Japanese wooden pencils, but I'm actually favoring a, uh, a particular mechanical pencil with graphite from Japan that's really nice. Oh, really? So, yeah, not can, not Rotring. That's they're German, no. right? Okay. Yeah, that that is yeah, that, that's more of a that's more of a like a graphing pencil style. Okay. Yeah, this is um it, and this is actually it's it's a it's Pentel. It was designed in like 1971 and it's the same design they've had it forever. It's just real classy looking. Yeah. I just don't have it on me right here. It's over there. So, anyways, Monday I start. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sermon prep. In the sorry. passage. <laughs> I like. Well, so I like start yeah, nerding I like out. Yeah. Pencils and stationery, kind of too much. Yeah, I'm saying. All right, so uh, Monday I'm I'm not doing much but reading and studying. I try not to have meetings on that day, so you know I just grab a couple cigars and I'm just working. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm sitting right here, doing my thing, um, and I break it up with like reading some books and doing some other things, and then uh, and during that time, uh, you know, I'm looking at the passage. I'm becoming more familiar with the passage. I'm I'm highlighting what I think the central argument is. You know, diagramming. You're doing all the work that you would do when you're when you're studying, um, but I'm constantly looking for the the main thing that I want to be pushing as the sort of the thrust of the message what I call the sermon summary. And so uh, you know, I'm, I'm keeping that in mind as I'm breaking down the passage. What are its parts? Um, what's the, what, what is the argument? Or if it's not an argument, if it's a narrative, like, you know, what are the, what's the plot? What are the, you know, the highlights here? And uh, so I just kind of go to work doing all of that. In that, I am uh, looking for uh, truths, doctrines, and takeaways as it relates to me as an individual. That's where I'm writing that stuff down, journaling it out. And then Tuesday, um, I'll, I'll maybe I'll have an hour more to spend on it. Wednesday, you know, maybe I'll have uh, an hour or two to spend on it. Um, Thursday is when I try to uh, tie up everything and um, get it together so that I have uh, a clear structure, a homiletical outline, and all of that that I'm pretty happy with. But it's still on a lot of different pages. Um, what I do typically Saturday is I get it 
So Friday's my day off. So at that point, I could preach that sermon if I needed to. Um, but I still haven't put it all onto one sheet. Um, I'll typically put it all onto one sheet on a Saturday, which is uh, like in a journal, and you're like the A5 size journal, like the regular size journal. Um, all of my notes fit onto one of those sheets. So it's about the size of a half sheet of paper. Okay. Was that the lectern? Yeah. Is that, yeah, is, that, what, is that what A5 mm-hmm. is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they call that large. Uh, other people call it medium or they call it medium and other people large. It's all confusing. But yeah, so I just use one of those sheets that holds all of my notes. I distill it all down into two columns on one sheet. And then I, uh, I photocopy it on Sunday, tape it into my Bible and go. Um, so yeah, basically Monday is like a lot of the work is done. And then I'm thinking about it, playing with it, praying through it, mm-hmm. journaling. And then uh, by the end of the week, it's come together pretty well. And I try to, you know, come up with a sermon summary that states what the thrust of this message that I'm offering them is. So I may have three points or seven points and I don't do alliteration. Okay. So, but I don't care if they remember my points or not. I have one point that I want them to get and that's what I tend to focus on. So I'll even tell them, here's the str- here's where we're going. Yeah. Like, you know, but I say, here's the main thing. This is what you're going to hang it all on. You're going to hang it on this idea. Um, and then I, what I find in general is that more people uh, are, are ready to take away different aspects of the sermon because I'm not trying to get them to memorize my rhyming points as much as I am getting them to focus and meditate on one clear theological or biblical truth. Yeah. And, and so the, the main thing is your, is your thesis statement, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the, 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 the question and the answer, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. After Robinson's model, you know, that, that, main, that main statement. We just call it a sermon summary so okay. that people know. Um, that's the only thing I put on the screen is the sermon summary. Okay. And, and you, you announced it at the front, on the front end? Yeah. So you, you repeat it throughout the, the message? Yeah. Hang on a quick second. Let me sure. grab something. That's my journal. Okay, so the soft cover lectern. Yeah, I use I use the soft ones because I'm, I'm pretty hard on them. Okay, and uh, but they hold up well. It takes up a little bit less space and it's a little bit lighter. So my notes are basically um, one sheet of paper. Yeah. All right. So for example, um, the last sermon that I preached uh, at Redeemer it was Revelation two or three. Yeah, two eighteen through twenty nine, um, and. So this is um, – this particular letter, there was some overlap with others. And so the, 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 way, the, the way I wanted to kind of frame everything that's going on here, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're praised for their love, faith, service, and endurance. Uh, but they've been tolerating Jezebel and people like hooking up with Jezebel, this whole thing, right? Yeah, weird. So um, – so basically what I – my sermon summary is toleration is sometimes a cover for transgression, right? That's about as close to alliteration as I get as I got two T's in there. Uh, that just kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. So, so – then my points, like they're, they're literally nothing. Okay. It's just but, the next um, idea. Yeah, it's like, you know uh, – the, yeah, they're rebuked. <laughs> they're praised. They're rebuked. Uh, coming judgment. 
hold fast. Like I'm not, I'm not even like. Sometimes I have a very clear outline that I want people to follow. Okay, here it's a very short letter. They're praised. They're punished. They persevere. Why? Why? Yeah. Why why didn't you do that? Yeah, because if I did, I would get mocked uh, by our congregation. They would laugh at me and point. One time I was preaching a message, and I had five points, four points. Had four points, and uh, I and the first letter for each word that made up those points spelled oh. out S-I-G-N and I realized it in the midst of preaching it and I was like you know I just recognized it. it's like it, it, it says sign all of these things together make up a sign for now I'm still li- I'm not living that one down man my, my people do not want that they, okay. they don't want that stuff so again it, it's not bad or wrong so anyways uh, that toleration is sometimes a cover for transgression uh, frame the whole because the problem in this church was not just that some people were committing sexually immoral acts and idolatry, but really what Jesus was focused on is that many of you are tolerating this. You're not dealing with it. You know, you're not practicing church discipline. So we talked about tolerance and toleration and how that could be a good thing, how it could be a bad thing, and then we walked through the passage. But yeah, it's the one thing yeah. I want people to get. Okay, yeah. And so and so did that sermon summary, it was at the beginning you said it. And then at the end, you, you thread it through. Is it, a sen- is it a refrain of the whole thing? Yeah, it'll come up at different times. Okay. So, um, you know, like I, a, a common way of saying it is, you know, you read the passage, you're kind of going through your introductory things, and you say, listen, the, the one thing that I want you to, but that I want to be clear in your minds today is this. Toleration is sometimes a cover for transgression. So I just I, I find a way to just state it very plainly. Yeah, um, that they'll throw that up on the screen for our people, um, and then we'll kind of, yeah it'll then I I've got it repeated here and here. So it, I, I say it a total of three times, but it's weaved throughout this whole idea of of tolerance. Yeah, well that's, that's and like the danger think, of tolerance. Yeah, when I discovered I get yeah Chapel calls it what like the three a.m. test or the yeah that's right yeah, that's what he calls yeah. it yeah. yeah you know like when I kind of discovered that I was like oh and I think everybody benefited because yeah. all of a sudden it's like oh there's a point you know yeah. there's there's a thing it's not just a collection of spiritual principles and thoughts loosely tied to the verses but like oh there's a point and so yeah. it makes the preacher have to work harder to actually summarize it. And then also it's the congregation a gift of, of a unified idea rather than several yeah. pleasant Yeah, no, totally. That proverbs, was, yeah. You know? I've had a lot of preaching classes. They're all pretty much the same. But, um, but Chapel's book was probably the, the most helpful textbook that we used in all of those classes. I liked it as a textbook the most. In terms of the, giving you the training wheels that you need, like the basic lessons that you need to craft sermons, I, I liked his approach the best. It's a, it's a really good book. Yeah, uh, we had Gavin Ortland on the show recently, and he said the exact same thing. Um, all right, I, I want to be aware of your time. Can I ask one question really quick? Um, Absolutely. Okay, so Leadership Lab, like that's really... I'm enthusiastic about that because you're getting young and new preachers like going. Uh, maybe I, I'd love to hear like an hour's worth of stuff on it, but like the, the few minutes that we have left, could you talk to us about like how it works and, and maybe even what are some of the ways that you give like specific feedback to preachers beyond just good job or beyond uh, that was heretical? Like yeah. what's, what's the ways to give specific feedback for new preachers? So Leadership Lab for us is um, – we do, we've done it different over the years in different ways. We're constantly kind of reinventing it. Uh, but this year, it's just um, these regular meetings that we have a few times throughout the year where we give uh, teachers and preachers the opportunity to teach or preach while being critiqued by the audience there 
and um, by other leaders so that they can grow in their abilities. Plus, I teach on leadership. Um, so it's open to men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we are a, a complementarian church, so we don't have women that serve as pastors in this church. Um, but we do have women, like my wife, that will travel all over and preach and uh, teach in you know, different contexts. So we allow men and women uh, to, to basically give a, a 20 to 30-minute teaching time, sermon, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, while they're doing this, we have a, a form that our people are filling out. And it asks all the basics like, uh, you know, were they – what was the main idea of their message mm-hmm. uh, to uh, – what, what, what was the – could you identify the structure? Uh, were their transitions clear? Um, did, they, did they have a healthy amount of application? Um, so that kind of stuff. Um, but then we also are asking, like, you know, what are there? Were there any theological truths that were highlighted? Uh, was the gospel clear in their presentation? Um, any weaknesses in terms of mannerisms? Um, any any distracting habits? Uh, what general advice would you give them? So it's 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 probably I don't know twenty questions or so that people are interacting with on the front and back of this form. And then they, uh, and then then we kind of go over it. So, someone who preach or teach, everybody's filling out their forms, listening, taking it in, and then um, afterwards, uh, then I say, okay, I'll go up and I basically ask, all right, what worked? Like, so what what really worked with what they were doing here? And then people say, oh, this worked. I like this. This was really good. And then I say, okay, if they were going to preach it tomorrow or if they were going to teach it tomorrow, what do they need to change or what should they add to it? Like what was missing? And these are this is a nice way to, to kind of handle it so nobody feels too beat up on. Yeah, and that's yeah. when they'll say like, oh, that this was confusing or this wasn't clear or you should spend more time on this or if you had more time, you should be sure and dive into this. Um, and then we hand in our form so that they actually have these signed hmm. copies so they know, you know in more detail what they could be working on. And then out of that group is where we find, oh, uh, like – Homegirl here uh, should be invited to a, a women's conference because she just killed it. She was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, or this guy, uh, you know, we need to talk to him and see if you know, he'd be interested in preaching for us at Redeemer sometime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great way of phrasing it too. Like if they were to preach it tomorrow, what should be changed? Like that's what a, what a, a delicate, yes. d- careful way of soliciting feedback. And then also helps them to probably like softens the blow, you know, yeah. if it was very hard. So. Did you yeah, come up with that phraseology? Yeah. yeah You're a sensitive it, guy. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a sensitive. I try to be I try I, I try to be sensitive with people. <laughs> like, okay. I, I don't have lots of feelings, but I know other people do. Okay. I, I have okay. anger and joy. Those are the two feelings <laughs> I have. Everybody else has real feelings, and so I try to mitigate that. But I, I yeah, I think it, because listen, uh, they they could well even sometimes sell it like this, but I'll say, like, listen, I'm sick tomorrow. And it came on suddenly, or I'm in a car accident, I can't preach. But you know what? You're ready. You have this. Now, how could you make it better? And you're, or like, I mean, you can say, like, if you had more time, what would you add to it? You know, there's a lot of ways to put it that aren't so crushing. But yeah, people love that. They, they, uh, we were just supposed to have one, and then we had a, a, an unexpected death in our church. We had to cancel leadership lab and we're trying to reschedule that. So, well, uh, yeah, Joe, I want to honor your time. Thank you very much for. For this conversation. I, I benefited from it. I, I have a feeling 
that when people listen to it, they're going to like it too. So thanks, thanks for, for having me on, man. Thanks for being yeah honest about your life and that's uh, uh, appreciated. And then also the, the bigger things about uh, preaching, teaching, training, uh, it's valuable stuff. Grateful for you, man. Thank you for what you're doing here. I think it's great that you're encouraging these uh, these preachers, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I want everyone to to get better, and thanks for thanks for helping us. Okay. So I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Well, that was that was great, and thanks again to Joe for for your time and for blessing us with that conversation. Uh, probably most of you already know this, but Joe is the co-host of a great podcast called Doctrine and Devotion. There's going to be a link in the show notes, and that's definitely something that you want to check out if you enjoyed this conversation. Um, also, I want to just invite you to connect with Expositors Collective um, somehow. Um, here's some ways that you can do it. We're active on Twitter. Uh, we're active on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page, but more importantly, we have a Facebook private group, and you're invited to join that. Uh, you go to facebook.com groups slash expositors collective, and we can discuss this and other episodes and other issues that have to do with your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Okay, next Tuesday, uh, there's a great conversation that I can't wait for you to listen to. Uh, myself and Mr. Greg Howe have some fantastic conversations about evangelism, cultural awareness, and also the value of preaching feedback and collaboration. So I'm gonna leave you with a clip and a teaser of what's going to come next week on the Expositors Collective Podcast. As I said before, I hope that this podcast and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. I loved the experience I had. This was New Life Fellowship in Queens. Um, the founding pastor is Pete Scazzaro, who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that has become quite well known. Pete was transitioning out of the lead pastor role, had invited Rich Volotis, a younger, I mean, Rich at that point was probably his early 30s, um, Puerto Rican, uh, New Yorker, to be the lead pastor. And they invited me to join the preaching team as my volunteer activity at the church. And the habit we came to was, um, there were three services at the church, there was about a 30-minute break between the first one and an hour break between the second and the third. But between the first and the second um, services, we would huddle after you had greeted people at the church as they were leaving, and we would offer each other constructive feedback on the sermon so that you could improve it in the 15 minutes that were left between the first service and the second service. Yeah. Um, and I think the beautiful thing I loved about it was there was high enough trust and high enough respect that you didn't need to do the normal hand waving. That was great. I was so changed. You because by the time we were speaking, the second service had already started. You could hear them. The musical worship had begun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so we would huddle <laughs> in the corner. Yeah. Um, of the lobby, and the feedback could be anything, but the goal was how do I help my colleague deliver God's word as clearly and as powerfully as possible 
to serve the congregation. And so sometimes you would gather and say, I have almost nothing. That was beautiful, profound, and faithful to the text and will help the congregation. Other times, I remember one time I had finished a sermon and Pete turned to me and said, you need to cut the last third because I think your passage, frankly, is um, includes basically a second pericope and you're starting a second sermon and they're thematically related because they're from the same text, but really you don't need it. It would be clear if there was just the one. And so um, and then what it takes as a preacher is to say, I trust you because I, I'm not quite objective about my own sermon. So I just cut the third out, went upstairs, got there. Um, they were in the last song before the announcements, uh, the announcements they pre I got up and started preaching and dropped the last third. What I, of course, forgot to do was tell the worship team that I was changing the sermon. And so they were out in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. And as yeah. I drew to a close 10 minutes sooner than I had the first service, I said, let me pray as the worship team comes up. And I could hear them scrambling because they weren't really ready. And they, and so I had to kind of extend the prayer a little bit as I was watching them come back to the front of the church. But it all sometimes would also would be, I think you misinterpreted that passage. And I, I think you went off on an angle here that I don't think is helpful. And what you had to do because the shortness of time was be able to propose a solution that they could adopt without a lot of work. And so sometimes we, I think if you modified this point to say this, you don't need to change almost the rest of your content, but it would be clearer and truer to the passage. Or another time, um, one of them had used an illustration at the end of the sermon. And I remember saying to them, I think your last illustration completely undercuts the rest of what you were saying. And they said, why? And we talked about it. I said, well, and I won't go through why, but I said, I think the way to fix that would be add this one sentence in. And it depended. Um, I preach from an outline. Uh, Pete, I think, um, has a very a much thinner outline and Rich manuscripted a little bit more at that point. So you had to know how each other was working. But I think what I loved was three things. One, um, we were submitting both to one another, and but ultimately to the text of scripture and so egos didn't need to be involved. And there was a clear criteria of, did it help it be more scripturally truthful? But also, could we trust each other enough to submit to one another's critique? Um, sec and what that meant for us is, as the preacher, um, my interpretation of the text nor my delivery of the text is authoritative. And so you had to be humble and say, okay, I, um, I think it, second, it taught us, um, we always have room to grow. Pete had been in ministry. I mean, he was retiring. He'd been preaching for decades. Um, I'd been preaching for decades. Rich had been preaching for decades. But you had to have the humility of, I can always get better, and friends will help me do that. And I think the third thing was, um, it helped us not be precious about what we were writing or doing. In the end, the goal wasn't cleverness, or I found something new. It was, did we communicate faithfully and clearly? And that would be better for the congregation. Thank you.